Bibles to Joshua. I'm going to move forward a little bit because people, I don't know what the, about the front seat. Uh, I remember uh, reading a joke a while back about the uh, church that uh, had a special button in, installed for the head elder, and when he pressed the button, the pastor would disappear uh, during the service if it was going too long. But then again, the pastor uh, thought a while, and he had a special button also where he can move everybody forward whenever he press the button. <laughs> anyway, I like to be close to people. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Joshua. This is a fantastic book. First, I want to give you a quick introduction. Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua, that sounds like a familiar name, doesn't it? It's the name of Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, Yeshua is broken in two parts. Yah, by the way, the word Yah is kind of interesting because Yahweh is the full name of God given to Moses. You probably remember that. And Yah is the short nickname. And so we have Yah and then we have Shua, which in Hebrew is to save, rescue, or deliver. And so Yeshua, God who saves, rescues, and delivers. Fantastic name for Joshua. What else can we know about Joshua? Well, he was with Moses for quite a while. In fact, Joshua and Caleb, if you remember, with the 12 spies, went in 40 years before uh, he ever entered the promised land with the children of Israel. And so he had 40 years walking around in the desert uh, and learning things. And we know that he used to stay, spend time in the tabernacle. It said he didn't depart from the tabernacle, and that was the tent of meeting. And so Moses was receiving the law and the Ten Commandments and all the things we have in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Joshua was observing and listening. And now we kind of get to a new part of Joshua's life. So let's start with Joshua 1. I'm just going to touch on several chapters in Joshua, but I think we'll get to a place where there's some real value for you. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land which I'll give to you, even to the children of Israel. This is a book about transitions. Moses, arguably, was one of the great figures of the Old Testament, an impressive person. Spent many, many uh, days in God's presence, led the people. God gave him the law. But now Moses is dead, and it's time for a new person to come along. Joshua, even though he'd spent time with Moses, had never been the leader of this nation of two million men, uh, also a lot of women and children, so probably four or five, maybe even more million people. And so God is speaking directly now to Joshua. He says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I've given you, as I've said to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not a man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. That little phrase, be strong and of good courage, will occur three times in this first chapter of the book of Joshua. So I was kind of reflecting on this. Hmm. Joshua, even though he had been with Moses, had some concerns and misgivings 
he was a little bit concerned about becoming the leader of this uh, five million people or so. And so God keeps telling him, well, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Uh, Joshua, by the way, be strong and of good courage. Joshua, <laughs> be strong and of good courage. He's encouraging him. Now, transitions are inter- interesting times. I remember seeing the auto plant out by Fremont. You probably saw that. And originally it was a GM plant. But then the GM plant kind of went away and it became a Toyota plant. But it was still all gas-powered, right? But then Tesla came along in 2010, and now ever since the last nine years, it's been a Tesla plant, electric motor. Well, that's kind of a good way to contrast Moses and Joshua. You know, Moses was old school, gas powder. And, of course, Joshua is going to be a new type of leader and tremendous leader. Electric powered, apparently. Very interesting. I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, but it occurred to me. Only be strong and of good courage that you may observe all according to the law which my Moses, my servant, commanded, turn not from the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. <coughs> so Moses is gone. Now Joshua is going to follow the five books. Now, I was thinking about going back to Abraham and God's establishing the covenant with Abraham, which he did when, Mo- when uh, Abraham was 99 years old. But recently I was teaching uh, the Old Testament, and it took me four hours to get from Abraham to Joshua. So I thought, we're just going to skip over this. (laughs) It's a little long for a sermon this morning, (laughs) although it's good material. But what we see here is very interesting. We're going to find some things out about the children of Israel, which are critical things to know and understand. The first thing is, that they were all uncircumcised. Now, I want to go forward a little bit here and uh, pass the time when Joshua led the people through the Jordan River, which, if you remember, it dried up, and they walked through, and then they took some stones out of the middle of it, and then they set those up for a memorial, and then the river started flowing again. And uh, Scripture says that that the Lord began to magnify Joshua in the eyes of the Israelites by this act. So that was important and interesting. I want to go past that and go over to chapter 5. So it says in chapter 5, verse 1, when the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of the Jordan westward, that is to say where all the Israelites were, uh, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their hearts melted. Neither was there any spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So they, they heard about this happening. They realized, oh, the Israelites are coming, and their God is bigger than our God. Joshua is commanded by the Lord to circumcise all the men. Now, the the children of Israel who had been walking around the desert had not been circumcised. And so they had to go through this time of circumcision. And what's important about that? It was the renewing of the covenant. Now, uh, Josh, a few minutes ago, spoke about the book of Hebrews. 
and some of the things about the high priest there. And there's a little phrase there which says that Jesus saved us from our sins by shedding his blood, the blood of the covenant. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Here the Israelites are reestablishing a covenant with God as they go through this process of circumcision, which is a cutting away of the flesh. And Jesus will establish the covenant with us by the shedding of his blood. So there's a direct connection here. And I'm bringing this up as a sidelight because we're going to have communion in a few minutes. And we should understand when we have communion that we are sharing in the new covenant covenant and affirming it. So this is an important piece, uh, aside. Now, after they finished being circumcised, and it says they stayed in their places in the camp until they were whole, verse 9, the Lord said, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore, the name of that place is called Gilgal. So the people, when they looked at themselves, they still had the sense of, well, we're not very prepared to walk with God. God said, you've reestablished the covenant with me. I've reestablished the covenant with you. I've rolled off the reproach of Egypt from you once and for all. You're now in a new place. I think that's significant. It says, they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover. Unleavened cakes, parched corn in the same day, and the manna stopped on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither the children of Israel manna anymore. They ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So now, not only is the reproach rolled off of them, but now they are eating the fresh food that's in Canaan. They're not eating manna anymore, but now they're kind of taking up some new new things that are available to them in the land of Canaan, which I think is a little uh, object lesson to us. When we get into that place of God's promise, we're to eat new things. We're to take in new things rather than the old. Now we get to a really interesting part. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, so that's the first city they're supposed to take over. And remember, the people who lived in Canaan were large. By the way, Goliath and his brother, Goliath Jr., we don't know what his brother's name was, but anyway, they were like eight and a half, nine feet tall. There were other tall folks in the land. They grew large in the land of Canaan. It kind of reminds me of a few years ago, probably ten years ago, uh, San Lorenzo Valley High School was winning all their football games. So I was, how's this happening? Because when I went to SLV some years ago, we didn't win that often. We were fortunate to win five out of eight or nine games. I mean, we broke even, we were doing well. I saw the guys, like 200 pounds, 220, 215. I mean, they're all large. And so they kind of look like college players. And so they just kind of swept their season. Very unusual year. The people in Canaan were really large. In fact, even the fruit of the land was large. You remember the spies, when they came back, they carried a bunch of grapes between two of them. They're carrying it like this, two people carrying a bunch of grapes. So 
Joshua has some concerns. And it says, he lifted up his eyes. He looked. Behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No. But as the captain of the host of the Lord, I've come. Joshua fell down on his face and he did worship and said, What do you say? What does my Lord say to his servant? As the captain of the host of the Lord, he's not partisan. Very interesting. Joshua was just sure that God was on his side. And the Lord comes and says, No, actually, I am the Lord of the whole land. I'm the Lord of the whole land. And he says to him, Loose your shoe off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This is a signal moment for Joshua. If you remember, Moses saw a burning bush, and the Lord said to him, Take off your shoes, the place where you're standing is holy. The same thing is happening to Joshua. This new leader of the people of Israel is also having a a transcendent experience, an experience he will never forget for the rest of his life. And he's realizing that God is God of the whole earth. Joshua has been magnified in the sight of the people, and now he's having a spiritual experience, being prepared to walk before Israel as their leader, as a warrior. And if you read the book of Joshua, as you go on further, you find out that he was very successful. In fact, he won every battle, except for the battle of Ai, where there was some sin in the camp. Now, we get to the part that's the application. (laughs) So Joshua is given some instructions on how to take Jericho. Now, the Israelites have never come against any walled city. As far as I know, the Egyptians did not have walled cities. They didn't have walls around their cities, but the people of of the land of Canaan did. And so there you are. You're, You're with a bunch of people who don't have any weapons. You don't have any battering rams, in fact. Battering rams haven't even been invented at this point. (laughs) How are you going to get through a walled city? Joshua is given a new way of proceeding. He's going to walk around the city with the priests and the trumpeters, and they're going to walk around for seven days. Each day they're going to walk around the city. Walk around the city, walk around the city, that's three. Walk around the city, four. Walk around the city, five. Walk around the city, six. And the seventh day, they're going to walk around seven times. I'm not going to go seven times around, but they went seven. And blow the trumpets and yell, and the walls are going to come down. As I thought about this, I realized that the captain of the host of the Lord was now becoming the warrior for Israel. What can this mean for us? In Santa Cruz here, we have a challenge. Our challenge is to reach our neighbors and friends. You know, for about 40 years now, I've been praying for revival and renewal in our city and in now the county and coast of California. How is that going to happen? I submit to you that God wants to drop the walls around the church 
so that the people who are outside the church will enter and the people who are inside the church will go out, that there'll be no more walls between people. Until God begins to touch people's lives and hearts, until the Holy Spirit begins to rest upon us and upon the people around us, the walls are still up. Now, God took down the walls around Jericho in an instant. We don't know what happened. Was there an earthquake? Don't know. But we know that at exactly the right time, God took the walls down. It's my desire to see the walls around people. And I spend time with people. I'm distributing some Gospel of John's here in the in the city of Santa Cruz, and I have a person or two that's helping me with this task. To not only receive a Gospel of John, but also to read it, and then also to do what's inside, to receive Christ, to receive salvation. To not end up in destruction and hell, which is such a profound thing that people, when they arrive in that place, will be in shock and horror that such a thing happened to them. God needs to drop the walls that are holding us from reaching people and holding people from participating in the kingdom of God in the church. That's what it's all about. That's my heart and my desire. I want to just go over to Ephesians real quickly here as we kind of close up. Paul says, In time past you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes were afar off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. That, by the way, is the blood of the new covenant. For he is our peace, who has made us both one. He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to make in himself of two, one new person, making peace. Jesus, when he came and he shed his blood, he broke down the walls between Jews and non-Jews. He broke down the walls between peoples. The day of Pentecost... It was an extraordinary day because people heard in their own language the gospel in many different languages, you know, Egyptian, Parthian, Greek, Hebrew, whatever language was there, and they were astounded. At that moment, God was breaking down the walls. He broke down the walls for Joshua. He will break down the walls for us if we have faith in prayer, if we walk with him, if we keep asking him to take the walls down. Because people today live in little, uh, little separate cubes of existence. They, they live uh, by themselves. Many people are very lonely. They don't have God in their life, but also they don't have other people in their life. I mean, it's really a crisis in our culture today. We have screens, but we don't have handshakes. <laughs> we have communication from different types of media, but we don't have heart 
to heart communication. God desires to take the walls down to make peace between people, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, slaying the enmity. Uh, And it says that he would like to build upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, build up a building for himself. That's what he desires for us. And so we see Joshua, which speaks to each of us. Joshua had misgivings about this task of leading a huge number of people. You might have a few misgivings yourself about, how can I possibly reach my neighbors? Well, we reach neighbors one at a time. (laughs) We pray for people. There are many people in different denominations in different parts of the world who are talking about a coming renewal and revival of faith. They've been talking about it for several years now. And it's kind of an end time thing. And I think that God would have us to be part of that renewal of faith. First, we are renewed within, and then we reach out to others and draw them close to ourselves and to our Savior, Jesus. He's resurrected, and his resurrection power is within us. He's walking in this world today through us. Rather extraordinary to think of yourself as representing Christ in the world. (laughs) Quite a challenge. And yet, he's left this task to us. Yes, there'll be a change in how the work is done. You know, just like I started my sermon, I was talking about how went from GM to Tesla, quite a big change. None of us anticipated that back in 2002 when it happened. <laughs> New things are before us. But like Joshua, we are supposed to be strong and of good courage and to walk forward because the Lord says he will be with us. He will walk with us. He will not forsake us. That kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? I will never leave you or forsake you. And in fact, Jesus asked Peter, you know, when they're along the shore, he said, uh, do you love me? Peter said, yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Three requests. Three requests to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. God has a plan for CLC. This church is a beacon set in the middle of the city. We have great times before us. Let's be on the leading edge of renewal and revival in our city, even as other pastors, other congregations are praying for the same thing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are blessed because you love us, because you stand with us, because your arms encircle us, because you lift us up to sit with you in heavenly places. We are blessed. Allow us, Lord, to be those who share the blessing with others, 
Lord, may we be strong and of good courage and walk forward with you each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to transition to a time of taking communion. In the evening that Jesus was betrayed, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. As often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death until he comes, Paul says in his letter. So we're going to invite you to come forward, take some bread, take a cup, go back to your seat, have a moment of quietness before the Lord, and partake of the elements. I'm going to ask a blessing on the elements now. Lord, I ask that you would take these elements from any common or profane use to holy use. Prepare us, Lord, to receive the elements. We thank you that we can remember you. We thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please.